Heel Squad, happy potluck Saturday. We are back today with another edition of the Christmas Specials We Love podcast. And you know what we're talking about? We're talking about that little known show. I don't know. It's called Friends. Super iconic. Not sure if you've heard of it. No, I'm just kidding. It's really fun. They had a few Thanksgiving Day specials that were really amazing, but we talk about the first one and it was a blast. It was a hoot. I had not seen it in a long time personally, but it was really fun to break it down with all the different generations we have on this podcast and to get everyone's take. It's really a good time. So make sure you tune in and if you love this podcast, please go follow us on our own feed. It's the Christmas Specials We Love podcast. Give us a rating, a five-star rating and a review and hit that subscribe button so you never, ever, ever miss an episode. And you know what? This might be the last Saturday. It's on the Better Together feed for Potluck Saturday. So you guys don't want to miss out. I'm telling you, go hit that subscribe button. So you can hear us every week. We're going to march you all through the holidays. It's going to be so much fun. Don't miss out and please share it with a friend if you love it and if you think they'd love it. So thank you, Heel Squad. We love you guys and have a great rest of your weekend. Are you someone who loves nostalgia in the holidays? Are you someone who believes the holiday season starts in October? So, so do we. we. What conjures holiday nostalgia more than the timeless TV specials we grew up watching each and every year? Many of which we still watch today. If you're as big a fanatic as we are, then you'll love the Christmas Specials We Love podcast. Each week from Halloween till the new year, we'll be covering these gems in depth, sharing production history, commentary, and insight. Presenting the Christmas Specials We Love podcast. Well, hello there. Oh, I've got lots of letters for Santa today. And every year they're the same. Some ask for toys, but a lot ask questions. Yo, yo. If you wish to give me a present. I'd like to be a, a dentist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Christmas Specials We Love podcast. It's myself, Kelsey, and Elaine, and my very dear friend, Christian Blatt from the Bladcast. Tonight, hey, Kev. we're going to take a little bit of a different place, and we're, gonna, uh, we're not going to go as far back in time as we normally do. We're going to be covering the uh, very first Friends Thanksgiving, and um, I don't know if there's time. Maybe we'll do a wee bit more. If Sounds there's time, maybe we will do Seinfeld as well. Wow! Just because back in the day, that was the Thursday night block. You would have Friends, you would have si you had Friends, and then you'd have Seinfeld. So anyway, we thought that this would be um, something to do that would uh, prep you more for the. For the Thanksgiving holidays, uh, we are the Christmas specials we love. But uh, after this, it probably will be the Mad Dash holidays. Although I'm just going to say, I'm a little. I love my Dunkin' Donuts, but one of the things I look forward to for all the coffee companies is I like to see my holiday cups, and I do not have a holiday cup. Oh, okay. I see Christian has one from Starbucks. Very nice. But it's the Kelsey. reusable from uh, a few years ago. So oh, it's, oh yeah. okay. Then that doesn't yeah. count. Mine but has a snowman. It still okay. is fun. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what? Kelsey does have the snowman on hers. So well, on wins. your Dunkin' Donuts one. Yep. Okay. All right. We're getting I have like there, a people. 12 year old water bottle with stickers all over it. <laughs> but, so Anne, I need to Florida, but Anne, in Florida, are you noticing the holiday cups coming in? Uh, not yet. Maybe because it's still in the high 80s. So <laughs> I haven't even been buying coffee at Starbucks or Dunkin' or any other coffee shop. So, so you maybe seen. I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> I haven't seen yeah, these are, listen, not these yet. Are the important things. These are the important things. Mm -hmm. uh, this is important. 
All right, you guys. But can I just interject? I love that we may be leading from Friends right into Seinfeld, because when this show first aired, November 17th, 1994, that's the same day that Seinfeld aired their Thanksgiving special. So we're already like in sync with the two shows. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I read that in the show notes. And Kevin, I was a little disappointed that you didn't also assign the Thanksgiving themed episode of The Single Guy and Veronica's Closet or possibly Caroline in the City, you know, the whole Thursday night. Christian, he was protecting me because I'm not a a sitcom kid. And all of a sudden I'm like, panic. I think they didn't get the, no, I don't think you you got Christian's sense of humor or the joke. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I'm looking at all these blank faces. But back at that time, these were all the other, you know, middle of the road sitcoms that kind of come and go. And you may they got propped up by by Seinfeld. Well, first Seinfeld and Cheers and then Seinfeld and Friends propped up these other shows like Veronica's Closet and Caroline in the City went into syndication. They were on for like six years because they had that time slot where people are like, I don't want to change the channel. I want the other show. So well, I'll they were carried. Yeah. I've never yeah. heard so, of well, So, okay. So we'll just get a little <laughs> Me, TV 101. I lived through it. <laughs> so Christian, let's, let's give them a little TV 101 where sure. we've got uh, a lot of, there was a criticism from the, the NBA with the NBC executives that they were spending too much on Seinfeld and too much on friends. Oh. But their yeah. argument was always, we're not just spending it on that one hour. We're spending it on the the three hours after that. So they w- that Thursday night block was so precious. So they would build. Pr- it's called tempole programming, but they built well, programming. And don't forget around that ten that. o'clock was ER. So and then you had, had ER. So you would, had right. It was night. a monster. I mean, they owned yeah. that for a de- over a decade. And I think if you go back to even the Cheers day, didn't they also have the Thursday night? Wasn't that NBC yeah. as well? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think Cheers was on at nine o'clock and then uh, and then Seinfeld was after it. And then when Cheers ended, Seinfeld moved back to nine o'clock and it became a little bit more of a dead zone. But, you know, people just watched. And this because... is what and they called it appointment viewing because people yeah. had to be. And do you remember where you did you have to be in on your Thursday night to watch this? Yeah. It was okay. my freshman year of college, so uh, I, obviously <laughs> I didn't really have anything better to do than uh, watch what they started calling a few years after these episodes must-see TV. Oh, must yes. must-see TV. You couldn't right. go out. I mean, you got after. But, okay, you know, you so I was not in that crowd. My roommates at the time in 94 were part of the must-see TV preset and yeah. all stayed in on Thursday night, but I had a tendency to still be going back with the thirsty Thursday yes, uh, mantra you, of college. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> like I said, this is the first time I saw this friend's episode and I haven't seen all the Seinfelds either. So I was new to this. So old with a fresh view. And um, Elaine and, and Kelsey. So, cause I, cause I think the next block we'll do at some point is going to be office and modern, modern family. family. I think these are the kind of pairings we're thinking of, but your generation mm. has fallen in love with friends and many of you Seinfeld as well, but definitely friends. So yeah. Kelsey, what were your thoughts on, on both of them? So it's funny. I have watched both of these episodes before, but not in a minute. So I kind of forgot. So they were both entertaining i like i liked friends more if i had to pick between the two i thought it just like kind of kept me going it was faster paced than the seinfeld episode i really liked them both um but yeah friends always makes me laugh more like i love jerry and i love elaine but everyone i don't know it was slower to me this episode laney what about you from gen z I loved Friends growing up. Like, I think I, I just binge watched it one year. I was just like, I'm bored. I'm going to binge watch Friends. And I just watched it all 
immediately. And I, it's like one of my comfort shows that I continuously go back to. And so I've watched that friends episodes multiple times. I do have a favorite Thanksgiving episode and I hope we get to cover it one of these days, but the first one was not my favorite, but right. I did, but like they are still my comfort characters that I go back yeah. to constantly. Comfort so, characters. Wow. Yeah. Seinfeld. Are so never really oh, watched. I only started watching because somebody told me their name was Elaine on there and I started watching it. I think I got through a couple episodes of season one, but yeah, I, I liked it. It was fun well, to watch Elaine watch it. Well, well, <laughs> se- well se- season one is a very, um, it, it was almost not even going to be renewed. It was, you know, yeah, was, you, you got to go season two on. Well, this was, and this was season five or six, six. Christian, right? Season six yeah, was the Thanksgiving Seinfeld Day. Was season six, yeah, yeah. Season six, um, yeah. Which, which wasn't necessarily a Thanksgiving Day special. I want to make that clear because the Seinfeld writers would probably stab us because they were all about we're never going to, mm-hmm. we're never going to show a hug. We're never going to have a very special episode. I mean, they, they wanted to be the anti sitcom. So, but it takes place on Thanksgiving Eve. So we, we, this is the closest thing we have. Uh, all right. Well, well, before we get and, into it, I just want to point out that it's funny because Elaine and Kelsey, you guys are so on trend with um, like your generations and and friends. There was actually a um, poll one Amer- one poll America this uh, the this past January, and Friends won the all time greatest show according to those polled in America. Yeah, it was commissioned by YouTube. So you guys are right on trend. Not surprising. Yeah, well, I think well, I think when those things come down, what's um what's a little tragic for the writers and the creators, I think it's it's gonna come down rather than a I think a critical view, but a fan view. You know, it's funny, Boston was always um very 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 highbrow in terms of their taste. And yeah, there was a Boston top ten of TV and a national one. And Boston Top Ten was always Seinfeld and those kind of shows. National Top Ten was always Home Improvement. And I know when Monty Pythons came to the United States in the early 1970s to perform, they were not received very well around the country. The place that they always were received from the early 70s on was Boston. So my, my point is, if Boston did that poll, I'm not so sure it would be friends. You know, I, I in our industry, we... I feel like it's I Love Lucy and maybe Honeymooners Christian for the classic era. Sure. And I think the second era, if there is one, would be Seinfeld as the kind of grandfather of all modern comedy that spun out of that. We wouldn't see. I see Friends as as really super funny, great arcing characters, great story. And again, I can see the attraction. But in terms of, you know, um, disrupting the system the way I love Lucy and honeymooners did. That's what Seinfeld did for this. Well, Kev, it's a Bostonian. Do you prefer friends or Seinfeld? Good question. It's too, well, I don't, well, I don't compare them. Okay. Ah. One is, you know, I feel like Seinfeld is a pure comedy Mm. and this is more of a, it's not a dramedy because it's not drama first, but if we get Christian, you're clever enough to figure out a term for comedy first drama second, but there's story, there's arcing, the characters grow, they change. You know, it's more accessible. I mean, friends, it's more like your popcorn movie, your blockbuster movie. Everybody's going to be happy with it. Uh, As I've gotten older, as I moved out of the New York area, I was shocked at the amount of people who had never seen Seinfeld, whereas I just thought everybody watched it. But as it turns out, uh, they did. My wife to this day has still never seen an episode, but uh, in our house, and it was very useful for this, was the physical media 
of the DVD set oh of the first complete season of Friends. So she and her roommates would watch these all the time in college. What Elaine was talking about, the uh, sort of like comfort television. And uh, when I saw in the show notes that I guess the DVD had some more jokes in it than the streaming version, uh, I actually watched both of them. And uh, yeah, there's like, there's a couple more minutes. There's a couple of jokes that you know aren't the funniest jokes in the show, but it was kind of interesting in that way. The I don't want to get off on the tangent here, but the thing that always surprises me when I watch Friends and the reruns are on constantly on TBS and they're usually on at the gym and I'm reading them on closed caption. I am surprised Kelsey and Elaine, not so much the two of you, but you're part of a generation that I would have expected to find Friends to be cancelable because of its toxic masculinity. Oh, when you yeah. watch the show, Ooh. when you watch the show, <laughs> you're like, just a, like this episode alone looks more like a man slash woman. And I'm like, that's a, yeah, no, joke. we'll get into it. No, but no, that's right. a, but that's no, a joke we'll... that you, you know, there's a lot of jokes throughout the series. You know, and it's, it's funny. funny though, because to yeah. me, Phoebe is the only masculine character in the whole series. Uh, Joey, Joey. It's, and Phoebe. Right. But you know, it's funny and it's, but it's a little high, low Christian because for all of those moments, there's tons mm-hmm. of progressive moments as well, Absolutely. which is why I think the younger generation plugs in. We'll, we'll get into it, but you know, Sure. All, all here, uh, before we we break down the scenes, I want to go to Anne for what she found for background. It, you know, um, of the nine episodes, I know of the nine Thanksgiving episodes that Friends did. This was the first, and Variety ranked this one number six. And many people thought this was the best, at least the best episode of season one. Certainly not the best Thanksgiving episode. But mm-hmm. with that, Anne, I want to turn it over to you for production notes before we do a scene by scene breakdown. Yeah, thanks, Hiv. So yeah, I saw the same thing. And then I actually went and looked at some other kind of to point to what Elaine was saying, other rankings of the Thanksgiving episodes. And depending on where you looked, they definitely had different rankings. So but uh, it was really clear that of the first season, this was a favorite amongst amongst Mm -hmm. all. So uh, directed by James Burroughs, who won 11 uh, Uh, primetime Emmys. He was known for Cheers, Will and Grace, and Taxi going back to 1978. Um, Created by uh, David Crane and Marta Kaufman. One of my favorite things I found out about Marta Kaufman, she was also one of the composers of the song, and her husband, Michael Skoloff, was as well. So they helped write the the famous Friends theme song uh, that the Rembrandts went on on to release. Huge, amazing staff of writers. Uh, Jeff Strauss, known for Dream On, obviously friends and partners. Uh, Jeff Greenstein, known for Will and Grace, Dream On and, and Friends, nominated for a couple of Emmys and countless uh, other awards, mostly for Will and Grace, uh, including, though, was an outstanding comedy series of Friends for 1990, uh, in 1994, uh, which he shared with his, his staff of writers um, also won the Emmy for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Writing for a Comedy Series for this very episode, the one where Underdog gets away. Um, on the writing staff, too, I noticed, uh, I, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce her name, Genji Cohen, who is uncredited on this episode, but she's of the Orange is the New Black and We yeah. Fame. Uh, yeah. And uh, she was a contributing author to this as well. See, most um, of these, what happens is on all these shows. She hated working there. 
but uh, oh, she did really oh, yeah. Christian. Oh yeah. Oh, do, yeah, do my tell. wife Christian. That is a very very Christmas. I don't think she's been quiet about that. I don't think it was a right fit for her. Is probably you know the uh, the clickbait headline would be Genji Cohen hated writing on Friends, but the actual story would say that like she just realized it was not a fit for her. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun because, you know, look, you have people like Ben Stiller was on Saturday Night Live for like three weeks. You know, sometimes people just don't fit into the right. Right. Thing. And, and a lot uh, of she times, found her yeah. thing. Yeah. But Friends wasn't it for her. Yeah. It's good wow. inspiration for people, too, that if you, you know, if you are rejected or, you know, it doesn't work out in something that's amazing. It, 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 that's such a perfect example of it's really not you. And you got to keep swinging because it, the, the flip happens, too, on these shows. And that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say is once you're anointed with a credit like this, you tend to just get work that just come, falls your way. And you have to be very careful as a creator and a producer when you hire these people because you don't really know. They're in a group of 15, 20 people. And some of these shows, it's literally one mind that's doing 80%, 90% driving the force. And everyone's kind of adding in little spices here and there. So you you get that. And then the other thing is with these rooms, they get very, very clicky. And one okay. of the things, now listen, this was a time I was actually writing. I was writing at MTV at the time in the middle of all of this, when this was all exploding. And everyone was writing their, we call them spec scripts, a spec version of Friends or a spec version of Seinfeld. And then you shop that around and hope that you get hired by one of these shows. But one of the problems with Seinfeld, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone mention this, they just became so tight. They became the smartest guys in the room. And I don't know if that was her experience on Friends, but sometimes you get these click of writers that they don't let anyone else in. They don't they they don't hear any other good ideas in their own mind. Only their ideas are amazing. They're smarter than everybody. <laughs> and what happened with Seinfeld was literally, and Jerry said it like we were out of ideas. He, that last the tenth year for them was so painful for Jerry because they were out of ideas. And us, we outsiders as writers would say, "How does a show about nothing run out of ideas?" <laughs> but that's why, because right? they stopped, they stopped growing. They stopped reaching out to other people. And like I said, some of these writers get very, very clicky and a lot of those rooms get very toxic um, and, uh, and not collaborative. And now the new rooms, it was starting to change over where the new rooms don't have it. I, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Drew Carey, probably no surprise to anyone, but he would always take everyone away. Uh, he would pay for a giant cruise. I think it was cruise or some vacation. You pay for everyone he took care of everyone. And then also Ray Romano, I know on his staff, um, you to get on the show, you had an interview almost with everybody on the staff, but it wasn't about, we don't want to let anyone in. It was like, we don't want to let any jerks in. We have a nice family atmosphere because when you get comedy writers together, it's hard because everyone's kind of a wise ass, kind of a smart ass. Everyone's got the ribs, but then you, you get the, it's kind of habitual to be, okay poking fun at people but then you get the ones who are nasty they they think they should have been seinfeld they think they should have been ross most of them started out thinking they were going to be the funny one and now they're writing and they're kind and a lot of that toxicity comes out and so i can see why she would have yeah i've been in that position i've I've been there i've been in those rooms that uh yeah, I just I'm like I don't I don't belong here with Yeah, these, I was gonna ask him because are all nasty. super competitive with, you know, yes. I'm funnier than you and even just like different styles of comedy. Cause yes. And, and if you don't have a good leader who looks at it like a team who says, Hey, this is my rebounder, this guy plays great defense, this this person is amazing as an outside shooter. You know, so when I had my staffs as a head writer, I was always like, Hey, it's not your thing. 
to maybe do a short film or do a sketch. But you know what? When it comes to one-liners and zingers, you're you're my person. And so, you know, I was always trying to manage everyone's strengths and and go around the room that way. But but yeah, it's hard. And then what's really hard about those sitcoms is they they played live on a Friday night. And and literally, guys, if you didn't get a lot, you maybe you were the writer who got your one joke in. And if that joke didn't play to some tired or bored audience that was loaded in from the Midwest on a Friday night, you thought you were out of a job. Mm. And you I know, was going to ask if it was super awful. competitive like that too, where you can oh, get brutal. clipped like at the end of the show. Yes. And um, I, I was wondering actually about Genji specifically. I'm like, were her jokes not seen as funny or in the friends uh, genre? Yeah, I don't know if she actually got any scripts. I mean, like Kevin's explaining, you know, a lot yeah. of times, you know, you're in the room and, you know, once the, the draft gets turned in, yeah. uh, there's a lot of changes to it. And a lot of those, you know, the sitcoms, at least in pre-COVID times, the writers were all on the floor after each scene. They would then try to like, all right, let's try like eight new jokes in some different places and everybody's going to have to laugh just as hard and then kind of see, you know, one bit of advice uh, when I was, I, when I interned at uh, Conan O'Brien's late night show, the head writer kind of explained that sometimes the decision would be, you know what, that joke didn't work for the 198 tourists, but we know it's funny. We're going to leave it in. And I bet the people that are watching and and you have to know which are the ones that are, which are the ones that work. And which are the ones that, ooh, that was not as funny as we thought it were. Yeah, you know? and, and again, that's right. the, 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 you a need good your leader knows the difference. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I'm assuming a Chuck Lorre, some of these showrunners, yeah. Mark, Mark Mark Cronin, who's got the whole Below below Deck franchise, and before that he had all the VH1 shows, he was actually my boss. And Mark used to say, listen, you don't have to be, to be the showrunner, you don't have to be the funniest guy, you don't have to even be the best writer, but you have to know what the best material is. And you've got to be able to pull that out of the people. And I always remembered that. Um, but a lot of times you'll get a showrunner who's thinking he or she is the funniest mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and don't have the humility. And by the way, sometimes it actually is the case where you get a genius and you just have to, you like Larry David, you just go, if he says, I don't care if the nine people don't get it, put it in, you gotta, this you have to let Larry right. David, you have to let him because maybe he will be wrong, but more than likely he's showing us, He's going to be right. Um, anyway, should we start breaking Let's this do episode it. down or what, kids? Let's do it, Kev. Um, okay, we end up, we start out at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Rachel asks for an advance from her boss, who, Christian, um, this is Willie from ALF. Yeah. I hope the show long, lasts long enough that we can do an ALF Christmas. There's got to oh, be an ALF yeah. Christmas special. The, the ALF Christmas special is the, the underline most depressing hour of sitcom television in television oh my history. Wow. You I I did Whoa. an episode of my podcast about it a few years ago because you you think you know what you're in for? It's so no, it's not okay. it has a laugh All right, track. Then. And make a note of funny. that, please. I, I duly noted, duly <laughs> noted. I think we'll have to cover it you now. You have um, to. Yeah. If we're he, looking to get depressed, let's watch the Alf Christmas and show. And you will be. Yeah. We have So we have the opening joke. You're a terrible waitress. Then we go into the opening. We're all dancing at that uh, iconic fountain that we have in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I thought what was interesting, I, I thought that a lot of the stuff that we see on this is a precursor of what's to come with millennials and Gen Z. For example, this uh, Rachel being this rich girl who is uh, now independent, trying to be independent, but really has been supported up to, by the parents up to this point. 
that was like, huh, what? Back then, original, unique. Today, I don't know a kid in LA that's not some, in some way, shape, or form living off of their parents. Yeah. And then the ones that are super affluent, their big thing is, I want to be independent. I want, But back then, that wasn't uh, as big a thing or that you heard about. It was probably a 1% thing. Now the majority of people I know, Christian, yeah. in LA, it, in some way, shape, or form, literally every one of the kids has the parents doing something for them. And some, like at least the first year or two out, is completely paid for by the parents. Yeah, and yet at the same time, she's independent, but she's asking her boss for money and she's asking her friends for money. Her friends Again, give her money. Is that know? not right. a precursor to? Yeah. Oh, uh, 100%. 100%. Right? Yeah, yeah, she doesn't even have $100. I have money from you instead of from my parents. Thank you. Yeah. And look, it's like a, she wants an advance on her salary. And that was like, you know, look, there's things about this being 1994 that you got to wrap your heads, head around. I'm like, what's she going to do with $100? I'm like, oh, I guess she could have bought an airline ticket to Vail in 1994 for a hundred right, and just walk into the airport yeah, in 1994 because right. it was <laughs> yeah, right, pre 9-11 exactly. you know it was totally different yeah. but on on rachel right there in that moment do you think because of how she looks she also gets away with asking for the for the advance in her salary more than if she was less attractive or same with like she's not good at her job and her boss just kind of laughs at it oh yeah it, it, yeah you know, any yeah. any of the oh, leads yeah. in this series uh, would not be fired from a job at a coffee shop, no matter how bad they are. Because yeah, she's she's floating by. Yeah, yeah. looks. Yeah. She's such yeah. a floater. Yeah, she's. Um, okay, back to the coffee shop. Rachel wants an advance on tips. Monica enters with Ross, Phoebe, Ross, Phoebe Chandler. Monica says to Ross, "Mom's going away for Thanksgiving." No, you're wrong. I'm calling mom. Uh, <laughs> off he goes, and when Joey enters, so again, um, this is a big thing. Elaine and Kelsey, he had to leave the room, and there was a phone on the wall that he had to put change <laughs> oh in, which is goodness. like money, but yes. it's like a kind of money that you know it, it weighs a lot, and you put it into the phone to call his mom. Maybe he called collect. I, I don't know. Like you know what? I, it's too hard to explain. Just understand there was a phone in another room. Hey, I know about that. I'm not. I even though I wish I was 16, we were we were alive. I don't know about Lane. I was alive when those things. We still had all the the landlines and all that stuff when I was born. Elaine, did you? Yeah, I had landlines. I've used paid phones before. Yeah, I used all of them. Oh yeah. Oh, well, there we go. See, <laughs> good. I'm judging I think I experience all around. <laughs> I'm I'm <laughs> judging a DVD box set by its cover. That's my <laughs> But it's interesting the attachment to the parents. I. I thought was uh cute and you know you but you you know you obviously ross just plays this great mopey oh my god god yeah. He's 10 straight years of this by the way with that character i just have to wonder how if it started wearing him down in real life truly i mean well, probably and I just, not i don't know i just love i was just gonna say i love how like and this is friends forever but it's like how just polar opposite monica and ross are yeah and it's like ross is just this whiny little mama's boy and monica's like no she's so like on her shit so type a so but it just makes it i just remember time. bumping into these guys during that time mm. and it was such a magical time for them yeah of uh, the cast and i i don't think they realized then a how good they had it but b yeah. I don't think anyone realized that it would go on so many generations. I knew Seinfeld would because I knew they were making I Love Lucy. They made, but I didn't know this would go on the way it has and is going to continue to go on. Um, but I remember Phoebe, um, Lisa, what, was she was the one because she was a little bit older and so therefore a little wiser. And she was like, 
when they all wanted to leave and do more episodes, do more of their own projects, she was like, um, no, this is the best job in the world and mm. we should stay another 10 years. We should, we should ride this train as long as we can. Um, well, and then the anyway, smart I just thought that because they, remember, they the, to negotiate as a block, you couldn't pick off yes, one or two of the friends and try and pay Chandler more oh, because right. they're smart you know, because a lot of shows did that. I mean, all the know, shows not, did yeah, that. Not the same literally. quality, but that's exactly what happened in Three's Company. You know, was yeah, they divide uh, and Summers is getting how much? You know, and then you right. know, it all falls apart as soon as that. And happens. they divide and conquer. Yeah, well, he was making a lot more. Jack Tripper, you know, uh, than John Ritter. Than yeah, she was, and she was an icon. So that was messed up. But that kept them all like on Friends. It's like that kept them all. It like, was such an that's equal right. Length. And then that to yeah. this day, they're also they're literally so such close. good friends. Yeah. But back in the day. And again, precursor to millennial and Gen Z life. I feel like millennial and Gen Z, you guys are much, yeah, you, you can be competitive, but more than us, um, you'll drop the competitive spirit to team up with one another and to, you know, to have each other's backs. Mm -hmm. And I love that. These guys were the first. Seinfeld, mm -hmm. none of them did that. Everyone is, you know, they're friendly, but to actually become friends, I think they, a lot of these people look from Laurel and Hardy to the, to Jack Klugman and Tony Randall, the odd couple. It seems like they all become friends after years after when they realize, my God, we've been through so much together. Mm -hmm. But during those times, it was always disappointing as a fan that they were never really close friends But these, this group was, they got it. They were like, it's us against whether it's the fans or these executives. Like we got, it's, we only understand what we're all going through. We have to pull together. And so other shows since then, staffs have talent has done the same thing and said, you know, one goes, we all go. And, and this is why, again, to get to economics of our business, you see so many multicast shows now, but they do that on purpose because you can be killed any week. Mm -hmm. You can be kicked off in any week. So it's really hard to keep your footing. But this was quite the precedent. Um, yeah, and kind of revolutionary, it sounds like. No, that's a good Yes, it was. It was, and I'm really, I'm happy for those guys. And by the way, wasn't it a million an episode they were each getting? Yeah. Not to mention what yeah. they get Towards in residuals. The end, yeah. Towards the end, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll just name drop. So uh, our neighbor is, um, who, which one's our neighbor? I don't know who's your neighbor. Okay. Matthew? Because I'm having a freaking brain freeze again. So. It, Boy it, or girl? Uh, Joey. 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 Matt, Matt LeBlanc. He's also Boston. Blanc. He's from New yes. Mass. So he's a neighbor. Hi. Him and his daughter were at the house. And this is me. Mm -hmm. I look up and I go, oh, hey, Joey. <laughs> I would too. I'm just like, I would you too. know, it's like, I'm, yeah. And then just like, and then I done just, the same. The look was like, hey, he just gave me the, and I'm like, oh, man. Anyway, he's, always, he's always at the sushi place near us. And oh, uh, he yeah. really, really nice guy and a great dad. Well, um, and shout out to Matthew Perry, all that. He just did his book and the whole Diane Sawyer oh, interview. Yeah. You guys should watch that. It's really, yeah, he's, um, but he talks a lot really about how, good interview. yeah. When he talks a lot about how he Jennifer cared. Aniston was there for him through that mm -hmm. all. And like, how cool to have a co-star, you know, that you're working with every day while you're going through all this really yeah. dark stuff. So I remember and then he also miscalculated how much America loves Keanu Reeves now. So you got to, <laughs> you have to be careful when you do those interviews, you know, he's a, you know, Keanu Reeves is America's sweetheart and you shouldn't be saying, why is he still alive when uh river Phoenix? Oh, is that what he said? Wait, yeah. who, Matthew oh, said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Matthew yeah, Perry yeah. said that. Yes. Said, why is Keanu Reeves still alive? Well, it, yeah, it, it was more of like, you know, he picked a name out of a hat and he picked the right. wrong hat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't Keanu even hear Reeves. that. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, 
So. Uh, okay, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Kian. Happy okay. Thanksgiving. <laughs> so Ross, ah! Ross confirms. Thank you, Kian. So Ross confirms uh, the parents are gone. Joey announces he's going home. We learn that Chandler's going to boy boycott all Pilgrim holidays. <laughs> Phoebe celebrates Thanksgiving in December because it's lunar, and Rachel's going skiing. Um, well, how progressive of. Um... Of Matthew Perry's uh, Chandler to be boycotting the Pilgrim holidays because as right? we discussed the with Once the again. Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, like that's now kind of woke. So this was mm. almost a predecessor of the woke culture. So well, that again, might be why the Gen Zers and Millennials also, you know, gravitate uh, tune into so this. Much. Yeah, Carol, he's not, uh, he's not he's not he's not protesting it because of the history. He's protesting it in the most millennial Gen Z way possible. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Also true. Yeah. Me, also me, true. me, me, right. me. Oh, because I, I had like a bad experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's hey, right, Christian. It was traumatizing. So, <laughs> so brilliant. So so astute. Um, the ex-wife. He doesn't. Uh, Carol, the ex-wife, is not invited. So Rob, but Ross stops by to see the the uh, pregnant ex-wife. Uh, to pick up a skull, which is kind of yeah. funny. And um, he notices a lot of books about being a lesbian, which is a is an interesting mention. And we see a lesbian couple, which I think was very, very far ahead of the curve yeah. for for this. And, and, and what was interesting was back then, having a wife leave you to become, to, to, to marry someone of the opposite sex, would be like, oh my God, like the biggest shock. And so you would probably look at yourself that something was wrong with you. You know, back then you would, you that was what the, I think what they were going for is that, you know, Ross just can't get anything right. Whereas today, I, I would it be as big a deal? No, I mean, this the was divorce even would before be big, Ellen as, came out. You know, yeah. like that was like such big news back in 97 and uh, I think it was 97. So, yeah, this is totally unheard of where now it's just like, yeah, they're just a lesbian yeah, couple. I mean, no big when, deal. When uh, when NBC originally presented Will and Grace on their upfronts, Will was just her friend and they were like best friends and they didn't really get into it. You know, so, uh, mm. you know, and I think that's actually after this. So, you know, it, it's a it's a crazy time to think about. And yeah, you're right, Kevin. This was very progressive for at the time because Ross makes jokes like, oh, you know, you you have a lot of books about being a lesbian. But Susan has a great comeback. It's like, yeah, you have to take a course. Otherwise, they yeah, don't Susan's let you do funny. it. Right. right. <laughs> She's very she was the lead on uh, on the she was like one of the four leads on the single guy that. Same actress, actually, which was one of the other Thursday night shows. And um, yeah, but the the thing about the, you know, the conversation about talking to the baby, that probably seemed crazy in 1994. But, yeah, right. I mean, I've had I've had two kids. Well, my wife did. I yeah, talked to her stomach though. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's such right. a normal thing now. And that was another one of those moments. I'm like, yeah, I guess that would have seemed weird in 1994. Ross's reaction was probably everybody's reaction. It's like, uh, you're reading to the baby that's not born yet. What are you, a crazy person? <laughs> right. And so Elaine and Kelsey, what do what, what when you see a you know a lesbian couple, well, when you saw this lesbian couple, let's say, and to you, what was your reaction? It's just Normal or did it seem weird that he was reacting the way he did or to the baby? To well, not to the baby, but to the seeing the like mentioning the lesbian books. Was that 
did that interrupt you, your flow in any way, shape, or form, or just take it as a, a little joke and we're moving along? No, I thought it. I thought it was very I it was progressive. Funny. I thought it was funny. I thought it was okay. very progressive how Susan answered. I thought that it was mm-hmm. a very not like hurtful or harmful in any way like just her answer was i thought i was like oh that was beautiful how they did that because it's like obviously he's so out of sorts and i feel like how they wrote it for her her to answer that it it like just put it right back into no it's good it's fine it's funny like this is we're all making light of it and this is why you guys probably Mm -hmm. just love one of more reasons why you love the show is it weird for you guys earlier i just want to interject kevin i think a decade earlier if in a similar situation the show too close for comfort Jim J. Bullock would have just been the butt of a joke, wouldn't have had a great comeback because mm. he wasn't really gay on that show, but he was, you know? Yeah. And I think that at this point, they're like, well, no, we got to have a really good comeback, yeah, you know, for her. Line, yeah. She's a strong character too. Ross can say what he says, but it's fine because Susan gives it just as well as she exactly. gets it. So right. I think that Empowering. that, you know, I think, yeah, for 1994, this is very revolutionary almost. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's so funny how, um, Times change so fast, uh, even for when I see the giant, the big tube television, I see cassette decks, I see a phone on the wall. I mean, all that CDs in those apartments. Yeah, Yeah. all just went away in a blink. Yeah. In a blink. It's not like it was, you know, over time, it seemed like to me. And what's trippy is that fashion, obviously, I, I feel like fashion started took a turn in 2000 where starting in the mid nineties to 2000, where if you notice you can look back at from 96 on and people don't look that different. I mean, there are things that stand out for sure, but the seventies has a distinct style, the eighties, a distinct style. The nineties does too, to a degree, but I think that's what helps these, some of these shows hold up too, is because you look back because it's something in 2004 and you're like, you know, you know, I agree. Everything Monica and Rachel wear, like right? we would all wear now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, like, and we all wore then. We all got the Rachel haircut then, and you know, yeah, everybody wore like the, by the way. little yeah. skirt with the tights, and you know, mm-hmm. had the same. They basically were the fashion icons. Like how they dressed on Friends yeah. is how you wanted to dress going out. And again, we all had the haircut. I mean, even now, like if. Like for my generation, you go on Pinterest and you're like, okay, I want to do a 90s style look today. And like one of the first ones that pop up, it's Jennifer Aniston, or I don't know if it was her as Rachel or just Jennifer Aniston. She's like wearing a little black dress with a white t-shirt underneath and her backwards baseball cap. Like I yeah. think that was on the show, but like that is an iconic look that people are still recreating right now. With so my, generation. Mm-hmm. my yeah, wife point. washed better together has a, sh- a de- and my wife have a deal with Macy's. So we do a lot of work with them. And the one of the things that I noticed even last week, I said, you know, Maria, isn't it interesting that you can wear bell bottoms or you can wear uh, fitted jeans, you can wear mom jeans, you any almost anything. It's not like it used to be where it was distinctly only bell bottoms. It was distinctly yeah. only, you know, low cut jeans. It was right now in women's fashion. She's like, oh, yeah, everything's cool. So just a, just a, something I had noticed. Um, all right, we're back at the apartment. Monica is prepping the turkey. Uh, Ross is complaining about talking to the baby. Phoebe talking inside the turkey, always being funny. Hmm. Rachel yeah, tells Ross to stick his head in it. Yeah, uh-huh. which is good. <laughs> Rachel enters down in the dumps. 
She, Wait, uh, can we just go she, back to the singing yes. with Ross? Because that was one of my favorite parts. Oh, my goodness. They... The monkey show, song. Oh, wait a second. He, that's that's later in the episode. It's uh, later. And when you just uh, come on, sorry. stick with the program. No, he was singing to the, the <laughs> Trust not your yet. quarterback. Not till no, later. Not yet. Not but yet. Uh, the, the reference to putting the turkey on Ross's head, of course, uh, made some of us think to the later Thanksgiving later. episode. Yep. Where uh, there wasn't a big fur over the uh, over this at the time, but they literally stole the sequence from uh, a Rowan Atkinson Mr. Bean episode where he ended up with a turkey on his head, and I was just like, "This is funny," but you know, it was funnier the first time I saw it, you know, like a year right. earlier. But I guess they figured, "Ah, that's British TV. Who's going to see that?" But it did make <laughs> me think about uh, you mm. know, and uh, how much the characters kind of uh, evolve over time because you know they're like playing a football game later. And there's the one Brad Pitt comes over. So, you know, I was really like thinking of all of the other Thanksgivings as I watched this one. Like this one is still pretty good, but you're like, oh, yeah, I think they get better after this. Yeah. Well, entry, this is our entry. This is our, you know, this is our hors d'oeuvre. Um, sure. Well, we get ma- snail mail and we've talked about that on Charlie Brown that, you know, it's so interesting to have a stack of letters. But one <laughs> one has money for her, which I think is really sweet and shows what great friends they are. Um, we Monica. Being Monica makes a nice little food baggie. Wait, for back Ross. to the money though. It's yes. the best when Ross is like, "Wait, we did. We all pitched in." And Monica's like, "Yeah, you owe me twenty bucks." <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Like which that. typical, right? Like typical. of a guy, right? That like, was a great line. Had to bring it up. And she makes the bag up for Ross, and oh, then yeah. Ross explains uh, this is when his parents announced their divorce on Thanksgiving, and that's why he's. Oh no, for Chandler. 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 Excuse Chandler. me, Chandler. Sorry, yeah. explain. The funions uh, and the grilled cheese it. mix that uh, come in handy later. Yeah, that's a, that's foreshadowing. They want to let us know that they've got grilled cheese mixings in the house. Mm-hmm. And you know, but going back to what you said, Christian, I didn't even think about the the kind of gender stereotypes where Monica is cooking. She's responsible. She gives the money. The guy that's so a guy's move to be like, did I give money? Yeah, you owe me 20 bucks. Yeah. Eh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, but at least their dynamic is brother and sister. And at least yeah. she's a cook. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're 100% True. right. True. True. But yeah, it, ter- it fits into the characters and their dynamic that, you know, uh, oddly, Ross is her older brother. But when you think about those characters, that's really not the way they act. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean. But you those know. stereotypes were really strong. Like that was the first thing I thought of when I was watching that scene with the two girls cooking and the guys like sitting there. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, this is definitely not of this time. You know, like we don't have that standard now. It'd be everybody in there cooking their own dish. Yeah. Chelsea, did you, did you see that too? Or Yeah, but I kind of agree with Christian. I, Monica being Because chef, she's a chef. We, it we, didn't bother We me. accept it. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's her the trait. The only thing that I was like, okay, is when everyone starts adding on their specific requests, I was like, okay, now my mom would be like, cute, okay, you can come up and help me then. Versus she was just like, okay, I'll do it all. And right. I think that's just the type of character that Monica was. She was the right. mom of the whole group and she wanted to take care of everyone. And sometimes she forgets about herself until she gets overwhelmed. And she's like, okay, and then- what about me, guys? What about me? <laughs> yeah. So, Joey, we cut to the subway and we've got Joey down there and he meets a uh, a fellow spritzer from Macy's. By the way, lots of Macy's mentions, so I, I wonder if they had to deal with them. Um, there's, a, there's a there's a package with a big Lands End logo in uh, in Susan's apartment, and uh, I noticed that because I was like, oh yeah, okay, so so they had to deal with Macy's. Definitely some yeah, some way to uh, you know, spread the revenue around. Yeah, he uh, he makes his moves on her. What you know? What are you wearing? Nothing. When he asks her about the perfume she's wearing, nothing. Um, Want to get a drink? 
and it's all going well. By the way, could anyone be picked up that way then or now? Uh, Joey, I think so. I think I, I don't know. Let the, I'll girl, let the girl answer, I'm wearing if, nothing. If you look, if you if look they look like, like Matt LeBlanc and he was I, that cute, yeah, yeah, I, that's that's, really that's my feeling. Back and then, honestly, yes. Well, and he also didn't just like jump right into it. He was kind. He was like, "Hey, we work together." Like it was small talk. He wasn't creepy or weird. He and she and he brought, told she her was she the was one. The that's what I mean. Again, probably yeah. a little more progressive, right? Truly, she's like, yeah, she's making moves. Uh, by the way, she's a real um, model. She was a real, uh, yeah, uh, perfume the model. perfume girl, yeah, mm-hmm. model. The, like yeah, she for some big campaigns as she well. Was the face of um, Geo and Ultima Two and Oil Valet. Nice. Wow. Now a psychotherapist, so a little bit of change of interesting really? sides of the brain there. Thank you, Anne. <laughs> Anytime, Kev. Uh, I like that. So then she gets spooked and leaves him, and that's when he sees himself hit the ad that he did as his first <laughs> ad as an actor model is him uh and a, a a venereal disease yep. <laughs> campaign. Um and he's horrified. Which which it's funny to think back on, like, oh, VD, how cute. Uh, what a thing to be scared of. VD I know, right? Back in those days, you know? Right. But uh, I had, I had, of course, I always kind of remembered this as a gag in Friends. I didn't remember it being in the Thanksgiving episode. So to watch this one, I'm like, oh, my God, this is when he ends up on all the posters. And uh, to, to license, don't stand so close to me from the police. Yeah, so let's get into that. So that, yeah. so that, was, um, that was interesting to have a montage with uh, a hit song. I mean, it's been seen before in sitcoms, but not often. And I thought that was very cool. And it was real shots of New York City with Joey's poster going up, which I also mm-hmm. thought was nice. I always, I always like when they these uh, things that are shot on sets are able to step out and film things in real locations. So I really love the yeah this montage with "Don't Stand So Close to Me" by the Police playing as we see. The Joey uh, VD poster literally go everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> and it's it's one thing to have used that song when it was broadcast on network TV. But the fact that uh, HBO Max and the DVD also has that song on it, that means that they really wanted to have that. They song went all the way. It's a lot of money to uh, to uh, Gordon Sumner and uh, Andy Summers and uh, Stuart Copeland. You know, so they all they all get little checks every time somebody watches this episode but, of Friends. You know, but, you know, the counter is and I'm sure. They they might be thinking that way as artists. I'm sure their managers aren't. Yeah. The you if you're an artist, you want you'd want your song on this. And not just because, oh, I would like to be part of the friends thing and it's cool, but no, it's because new fans get to hear your music and say, Wow, I like that. I'm gonna go download it. I'm gonna go buy it. Who played that? When the Sopranos used the journey song for the last scene of the finale, that song went through the roof. So if I'm an artist, you want your stuff on this. But again, managers and people in the middle, they want money. They don't care. But there's actual more money in letting productions like this have it. So it lives in perpetuity. So 20, 30, 40 years from now, more than likely someone will discover the police. By the way, when, hopefully when we talk about Seinfeld, talk about Artie Shaw and big bands. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I digress. Uh, what I thought was really cool is that you go to the coffee shop. And normally on a sitcom like this, you would get that montage, go to the coffee shop, it would fade down, you'd be out. What I liked is the music faded down, Joey enters, the gang's laughing, looking at newspapers and uh, and publications of him, laughing, and then the music cranks back up. 
which I thought was very bold. And they go back into the montage and we see more posters being hung. And I just, I, as a filmmaker, I loved it. I love that. That was my single favorite part of the whole show. So yeah. I, and I, I didn't connect that it was the dramatics of the music and all of that, but, and maybe cause I was a fan of the police back then too, but I, I thought that was my favorite moment of the show and Joey's face. He's like, I made it, but I didn't cause it's, this is a bad poster to be on. So he was feeling like <laughs> all the emotions tied into one. He's like, there's my face. Oh, it's connected to VD. Uh. I also like that, uh, that Phoebe, gets the line of, you know, laughter is infectious and then they all laugh. They're very generous with sharing <laughs> yeah. the jokes. I think uh, a few years earlier, this show, Chandler would have had almost all the jokes. You That's know? right. You're right. That's great. Point. But but they really, you know, every, each character has jokes that kind of fit who they are. And uh, I don't know, it's like, it feels like an actual group of friends because of the way that they're not afraid to make fun of each other. They all still love each other very much. You know, it's fine. No, but you it's also generous to the actors too, Christian, yeah. where everyone gets a line and it's not, you're right, the old 70s and 80s sitcom, they would just dump it on the one funny guy and everyone else is set up, set up setting that funny person up. So I love but, it. You know, it, you, you do see that in later sitcoms too. I mean, David Spade built a career on that and being the guy who kind of walks through a scene with the, with the, with like the sort of the drive by joke, you know, yeah. but uh, this show I think stands out even to this day because of, you know, this in the office, I think are two shows that you think of where it's like, no, everyone can be funny at any yeah. moment and you just don't know when it's coming. Balance and humor. Yeah, yeah I agree. For sure. Good call. Okay. So we get, uh, we see the underdog float in the Macy's parade. And by the way, if we have time and if we don't have time, we'll do it in a mini-sode. Um, I have a lot to report on the underdog float uh, history of it, as well as the Macy's parade. And it looks time-wise like that's going to be a mini-sode. Kev, I okay. can see you as a huge, un there is no need to fear, underdog is here fan. Oh, my favorite cartoon of all time. I was singing I the theme it. song all night after we started doing this. I'm like, yes, we all grew I'm up right. wanting to find our own poly pure breed. And some of us were lucky enough. <laughs> and I know. Absolutely. You know what? It's you. Yeah. I wasn't looking for her so much as I wanted the energy ring in the, the secret uh. compartment of my <laughs> ring. I fill with the underdog super energy pill. Okay. But. So we're in the kitchen. We're getting requests for the tater tots and we don't want lumps in our uh, potatoes, as we said. And, and Chandler wants Rachel to stop shooping because she's got her tickets and she's excited. <laughs> Ross is off to the unborn child. Um, oh, and then Phoebe comes in and says, yeah, uh, no lumps, but can you add peas and onions like my mom did before she died? So, of course, now <laughs> she's got to accommodate that. Rachel leaves and then Chandler rushes in and says, underdog has gotten away. Let's go. So off they go where Ross is now with the ex-wife who is the uh, a replacement actress for the first wife because the first wife, Christian, was what cast? I think she got a lead in another no, series. Su Susan was on another series. Uh, so when they did a crossover episode, uh, one of the characters oh. was just stuck in traffic so they didn't have to try and put them both uh, in, in, the, in the same scene. But this was a replacement actress for Carol. I don't actually know the backstory to that. They probably... I think it was, yeah. I think she got the first Carol. She got cast on something else, probably. Yes. Yeah. And so in comes this Carol, who's going to be the Carol that we'll see for the remainder of the, the series. The series, yeah. Um, and now we go to... Ross buying into talking to the to the unborn baby, mm -hmm. and he's hilarious because he's telling his boring life story. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then I picked this major. Right? Um, oh, so funny. Um, but now, and they sing the monkeys, which I love. It's the monkeys theme song. So you, I, you probably didn't even know that, no. Kelsey. Nor did you, Elaine, right? 
Oh yeah, that was just so classic because who didn't watch the monkeys back then and then, then he changed the words. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, that was my sing that was I guess my second favorite part of the whole thing, but I had already mentioned it before. But changing the words to the baby with the monkeys. Um, you guys should go back and listen to the monkeys theme song and then rewatch that little clip because I think you'll appreciate it even more. Yeah, I loved it too. I love it when he he wasn't going to do it. And then um, Carol was like, oh, well, okay then. Like, And he gets jealous about like Susan doing it. So he then is, like goes in harder. But see, we see why she walks in a- and he's in song. It was great. Yeah. Well, this is why it's an apple and orange when you compare Seinfeld to um, Friends because you know, Friends has all these funny moments. But then, the, you know, we're going to see eventually the baby's going to kick. And there's a not really sweet moment yeah. between the three of them and, and, you know, sharing this moment, which is beautiful, but funny, but also a beautiful payoff. You would not have that on Seinfeld. It's a whole different show. Right. Um, right. We, we come yeah, back and because it has those moments of heart because you understand like Ross, his legitimate fear is this baby is going to love it's two mommies and it's not going to care about me. Right. And you see that in the moment. It's still very funny. But you know that you can sense that from the character, not just in this episode, but we're only talking about this episode. You can see it's a real fear. And he's motivated by, wait, the baby's going to like Susan more than me. I thought right. it was stupid to sing, but here I come with the monkeys theme. And I agree with Anne. That was right. Great. It's so relatable to how yeah. we would respond in those moments. Like, I don't want the baby to love anyone more than they love me. So I'm going to do whatever I can and sing to the belly, even though I don't believe that that's the thing. I'm going to do it anyways, because if there's a chance, then I'm on it. And it was sweet then that the writers gave the kick to, like, it kicked when Ross was singing. Yes. So I thought that that was a nice. Yeah, so he could feel included. Yeah. It was yes. great. Um, we cut back to the apartment. And uh, they're locked out. None of the and uh, of course the boys have a key, but it's a box of keys, and none of them are working. <laughs> Typical. Poor Monica, her first, her first Thanksgiving is ruined. Uh, everything is burned. She's taking it personally. Ross enters, still singing the monkey theme. Now everyone's all yelling. Uh, they finally let in, but the place is smoky. Uh, obviously, the food is ruined. We cut to them all sitting stoic. Until uh, they notice ugly naked guy cooking a turkey. Now, ugly naked guy is the person that they always, this mystery person that they see through their window. Um, But then they notice he has, he's having Thanksgiving with an ugly naked gal. (laughs) And then everyone realized how nice it is that uh, even he has someone on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And we cut to the grilled cheese. They're all having grilled cheese. They're having their Thanksgiving with grilled cheese. They, uh, Split a gr- grilled cheese sandwich like they're splitting a wishbone. And then we get the Chandler toast, which is uh, this Thanksgiving has been great. I'm thankful that all your Thanksgivings sucked. <laughs> and here's to a lousy Christmas and a crappy new year. And so just a really clever, smart way to bring them all together and show them the meaning of Thanksgiving, which is they have each other, but not doing it in a way that's so sappy right. and, and corny and on the nose. My thoughts. But what do you guys think? Yeah, and to take that even further, to be like, oh, that's so sweet. And then Ross is like, and hey, here's to a lousy Christmas. And then Rachel is like, and a crappy New Year. And they're all like, you know, ching, ching, and then here, here. So I I liked how they extended that also. Yeah, I I felt all those things. And I also think that uh, the make-a-wish on the grilled cheese, Joey has the perfect, most Joey joke. What would you wish for? (laughs) Bigger half. (laughs) 
Like that's Joey. This is is like what the ninth episode of the series. And I'm just like, oh yeah, they knew who Joey was. You're still Mm -hmm. figuring out some of the other characters a little bit, but Joey was always Joey. And, uh, you know, just his delivery on that was great. But, uh, you know, wrapped in a really like sweet moment, which like you're saying, Kev, you would not have gotten anything approaching that in in Seinfeld. No, just different in different show. You know, so that's why it's not unfair to compare them. I think uh, you guys, we went an hour on this. We went a long time. And uh, what is our text number? If you want to test text us suggestions for yes, uh, whatever so we actually we have. Um, if you want to text show s h o w to our text number, which is two two nine four four Santa, but I'll give you those numbers two two nine four four seven. Two six eight two. So text show to two two nine four four seven two six eight two. And a shout out to the folks who uh, texted us last time. Uh, a couple folks said they didn't have any requests, but that they were enjoying the show and they <laughs> they like all the laughs and the banter back and forth. So we appreciate all of that. Oh. Great. Well, we you know, hadn't you hadn't had me on yet, so uh, the positive well, now, text are probably going to stop immediately. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I highly doubt so. that, Christian. Very valuable member of the team. Very valuable. I don't think we're going to let you go, Christian. I don't think <laughs> you so. Know. Uh, yeah. Well, especially if you're going to do the Cheers Thanksgiving episode uh, and know. Elf, most depressing wow. oh, Thanksgiving no, that, ever. So, yeah, we've already talked about Elf and the the Star Wars holiday special. Uh, you know, well, uh, it's coming. It's all coming. Yeah. But listen, that's why it will be able to do this show seasonally because there is so much to cover. Um, yes, there's the top layer classic ones. We'll we'll get to those. But uh, every now and again, yeah, can we I also these. mention? Folks can also go to ChristmasSpecialsWeLove.com if they forget that text number. And there is a text link at the bottom in the footer of the website. Um, ChristmasSpecialsWeLove.com. Thank you. And go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Leave us a five-star rating, please, and your comments. And, uh, oh, I don't know, after that, uh, tell a friend. And uh, keep listening. We'll be dropping more stuff uh, as the march to the – uh, Christmas and New Year holiday happens. Continues. Yes, it continues. Uh, I think we probably may have a little bit more Thanksgiving love in us before we just go full Christmas on you. Full send Christmas. Um, hopefully you're preparing now as we speak. Uh, I th- We've got our tree up here in the house where we obey the Mariah Carey rule. Of November 1st <laughs> is the official beginning of the holiday here. Um, I like it. Hopefully the rest of you are doing the same. Christian, when do you have kids? Yeah, kids. So when do you when do you start well, the march? We we start. Uh, you know, my friend Will Sterling, who I've done my podcast, a Blackcast with for years. He has had this this thing that he calls Joy to the World Day, November first. He listens to Christmas music that day, and we adopted that. Also, this year, Sirius XM, very smart. Their Halloween channels went right over to Christmas channels. There was no nice. in between oh, this year. So on November 1st, uh, we do the music. We don't do the tree until uh, after, like Thanksgiving weekend. One of the days in there is when we actually decorate. It. And uh, it, it, it stays up a little bit longer. We're not ready to say goodbye because we have a fake tree. But uh, yeah, the kid and my daughter's birthday is uh, right after Thanksgiving. So we have a little bit more focus on that, but there's already a lot of talk about Christmas and uh, the decorations will be out later this month. Love it. Very nice. Wow. And what, Kelsey, what about your family? <laughs> my mom is a 
Let's get our tree a week before Christmas. Wow. Put it Old up. school. Oh, yeah. Take it down the day after. The Boy Scouts come and get it. She's like, nope, get it out. Wow. Bye. She'll decorate. Like, we're very, like, she likes to cook and she likes the candles. But the tree, she's like, uh-uh. And my sister is all about the real tree. Erica, like, will not have it unless we have a real tree. Yep. So my mom's like, okay, great. Go get it. Go figure it out. So that's oh. my mom. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I, I'm the son of a fireman, so we <laughs> yeah. never could have the real we always mm-hmm. had fake ones all right and what about your family uh depends your on mom. where but this year so my mom and dad will put up their tree slowly so they have the fake tree kind of old school 70s like it's a fire hazard even though they weren't <laughs> firemen they're still like we're not too many needles on the floor it's going to be a mess so it's the one with like the color coded you know you put the branches yeah. in so it'll go half up one day. My mom will get, you know, she's 84, so nothing's super fast. Uh, and then little, she's into those Byers carolers, which are like the Scrooge characters. So those go up, a couple of decorations, and then old school till the 6th of uh, January. Yeah, I like January 6th. comes down. Nice job, mom. Yep. And my mother's done the... Can I just tell you a funny yeah. thing here? So I take care of my now 96-year-old mother-in-law oh. who... Wow hates the Christmas tree. So <laughs> oh, when boy. we first started Uh-oh. taking care of her, she was like, I hate those Christmas trees. They're such a mess, et cetera, her. et cetera. So Welcome to my world. And so I went out to Home Depot and got one of those yard reindeers mm. that we call Clyde. And that is now our tree in Florida at my mother-in-law's house. I That's threw the amazing. tree skirt around as a scarf. I'm like, you're not killing my Christmas Does cheer. she love it? She tolerates Clyde. I'll give it a tolerate. It's better than the tree with the needle. That's so funny. What about you, Elaine? So I'm an only child, and my mom is like the only person that lives in Washington. And my mom is so minimalistic. She does not like to do big holiday things, but I do like the holidays. So the moment I get back, whenever I have a full day, I put up that tree. And the day before I leave, I take it back down. Nice. (laughs) Good representing. My mother's been, my mother's done the the tree reduction program. So every year, I swear to God, it just gets small and small. Now it's a tabletop one that probably is a foot high. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It just keeps going down. And yeah, it's kind of. uh, The tree reduction program is perfect. (laughs) Right. You guys, it's uh, if you want to text us, 229-447-2682. We look forward to your comments and your thoughts. And um, we will see you next week. Let's go. Onward, Vixen, onward. Well, I still have a little magic. Oh, I'm not such a loser after all. Ah.